You are listening to Radio Free Signs of the Times, broadcasting into the heart of an occupied America. Hi, I'm Joe Quinn, and you're listening to an all-new Signs of the Times Sat.net podcast. This is our first podcast for 2010, and it's been quite a while since our last one, but we're determined to make this year uh, the year of the podcast here at Sat.net, so you can expect to see many more coming your way over the next few months. Today we're going to be talking about the most recent alleged terror attack in Detroit, on the 25th of December 2009, this was the case of the underwear bomber, as he has been, as he has come to be to be known. And with me in the studio to discuss the details of this very interesting event is Anne, who is a regular reader of Sot.net. Uh, so, hi Anne, and welcome. Hello, uh, Joe. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, this case of the underwear bomber, I wrote an editorial uh, for Sat.net on the 31st of December 2009. Uh, it was entitled, The Underwear Bomber, Crushing Freedom with Phony Arab Terrorism. And the reason I chose that title was because having done quite a lot of research over the past several years into the war on terror in general and uh, other very similar, at least in nature, uh, types of terror attacks to this underwear bomber terror attack. Um, that title summed up really what the point was or what was behind these types of attacks. It was for the purpose of crushing freedom around the world uh, in many different ways and crushing the freedom of many different people, not just Arabs or Muslims, but also people... Um, in the Western world, absolutely. Basically, it's not. It, it, we're not dealing with terrorism, with real terrorism. Mm-hmm. We're dealing with theater and control and manipulation. Period. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. It's there's th- the whole concept of terrorism goes back a long, a long way. Um, although it might seem like it's a new, uh, a new idea. Uh, specifically Muslim terrorism, uh, but it's not. Uh, Muslims and Arabs have been called terrorists uh, by Western governments for close to 100 years now. Um, back in, uh, in the, during the First World War, during and after the First World War. Um, Winston Churchill actually has the honour of being the first uh, British Prime Minister to use chemical weapons on a civilian population in, in Baghdad in 1920 against uh, ordinary people who were revolting against uh, British occupation at the time. And he called the people who yes, were beaten down the terrorists. Yes, these people who were revolting simply because they were, um, because they were being uh, unfairly and unjustly treated by an occupying power, a foreign nation, they... He, he, they were called terrorists, and, and that's been, as I say, that's been going on for, for almost a hundred years. Uh, but recently, it's um, since nine eleven. Obviously, it has gone through the roof in terms of the amount of uh, 
the amount of groups or the number of groups that, that, that are being labeled as terrorists uh, around the world. And um, people really need to think a little bit more about and read as much as they can about the, the real roots of, um, of this conflict, what's behind it, and not believe the simple black and white analyses that are given to them by the mainstream media. But when the only thing they read is the mainstream media, when the only access they have is the televised, especially mainstream media, what else can can they do? They're, they're literally hypnotized and sleeping. It, with this latest little foray into terrorism land, mind control? Was it a mind control situation? Well, mind control seems to be, although we have no smoking gun evidence that this is the case, there obviously is a history, uh, an official history, that mind control is real under the CIA project during the 50s, 60s, 70s, MK, called MK Ultra. The, the CIA in the U.S. Uh, were very interested in the, uh, in the possibility of being able to control a person's mind through hypnosis and... Sort of a Sirhan, Sirhan situation? Yeah. Uh, Drug-induced uh, states, trance states, where a person could be... How else do you get someone to set their own underwear on fire? That's a very good question. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> this, this is not something even a crazy person would do. Well, maybe. But. Well, yeah, but if it's a crazy person, then that removes the any real possibility that this person could be fighting for some... For some That's true. For some unless, ideal uh, or some... Unless Al-Qaeda's, you know, recruiting crazy people. Unless they're all just crazy people. Right. In which case, we shouldn't be fighting a war uh, where, where the U.S. government commits, you know, hundreds of thousands of troops and contractors and private mercenaries uh, to, to kill them. They should all be... We should be sending out, uh, sending out psychologists mental or mental health <laughs> mental practitioners. Health yeah. So... You asked the question, how could people possibly get a grip or get a, an idea of what's really going on behind the war on terrorism if they don't have any access to right, information. real information or, or objective, more objective information than, than they get in the mainstream media? And that's a, uh, that is a really good question, and it's a very difficult question to answer. At this stage, the, the best bet, as I see it, is, in fact, in the increasingly dubious nature of these kind of of these terror attacks it's getting so ridiculous yeah, you would I think mean, somebody would and they would start to notice how literally how ridiculous it's getting yeah it's nice to hear that uh, a lot of people in the US are actually calling this this recent quote unquote terror attack as uh, the crotch bomber because that adds a little bit of uh, ridiculousness uh, to the situation and, and therefore perhaps a little bit of disbelief can, can begin right. to creep in. And we can only hope that they continue to become more desperate. It seems that they're becoming more desperate, and we can only hope that they continue to become more desperate in, in terms of their attempts to sell this war on terrorism, war on Muslim terrorism, clash of civilizations to the people, uh, because as they become more desperate, there's a greater chance that they will slip up or Makes resort sense. to ever more ridiculous events. It does. It does events. seem that they're becoming more desperate because it's so badly done. And either it's badly done because they had no time to plan it, or it's badly done because they're just becoming so desperate that they don't—they're not even thinking clearly. It's—I mean—they don't even make sense. Yeah, they don't. It's not I even, mean, it's it's not not even vaguely logical. Yeah. The guy got onto a plane with no passport. Is it, this is true? 
Yeah, this is from eyewitnesses at the airport that he arrived at the gate to board the plane. So I get a full body rubdown three times before I get into line to get on the plane, and this guy walks on without a passport? Yeah, apparently that's, that's what happened, according to eyewitnesses. And in this situation, and it's very important to remember this, in this situation or in situations like this where you have a terror attack and there's a lot of propaganda going on around it, the best sources of information are the eyewitness reports. In that happened in the immediate yeah. in the immediate aftermath or, of, of the of the event, because there is an awful lot of evidence that the mainstream media is in the pay of government. So you're not going to get an objective or independent or unbiased. You get the uh, Yeah, you're going to get well. You're going to get the government's uh, story, the official story, right. and we have every reason to suspect that the official story from the government is not true or at, le- at best only partly true. So eyewitnesses are the best uh, the best resource really and yeah we have eye- there are eyewitness reports that he that this particular would be would be terrorist at uh, the tender age of 23 arrived at the gate in Schiphol Airport in Amsterdam in the company of a well-dressed Indian looking man who told the attendant at the gate that the young would be terrorist had no passport but needed to get on the plane anyway and that really struck me as strange you know who who walks up to the gate in an airport and says hi i don't have a passport but i need to get this person on the plane anyway unless you okay if you're maybe you're crazy deluded but that doesn't seem to be the case um in this particular instance because so the guy the obviously yeah he got on the plane so the guy who said that who accompanied this young um, nigerian mutalib to the gate was obviously convinced that he was going to be able to get him on the plane, that he had authority. So this sounds like someone who believed that he had some authority and apparently did have some authority to to, to get a person on the plane without a passport. That also suggests to me that neither of these men, or at least Matalab, who was getting on the plane, did not go through or is unlikely to have gone through any security checks. Because if you can walk him up to the gate after everyone has been has arrived and is sitting at the gate, and you, you can walk this guy up last and say, "I need to put him on the plane and get him on the plane without a passport," it's very likely he got him through security without any checks. He, he didn't come through the come through the normal process at the airport. So that is just one strange, one of the many strange aspects of of this. Well, stra- uh, strange is an understatement. That doesn't happen. I mean, yeah, that's not a movie. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, so that that point that that we can reasonably establish that he didn't come through security opens up another troubling question as to why he didn't or wasn't given by his terrorist masters supposedly given some kind of a bomb if his plan was to blow up the plane, exactly. give some kind of a proper bomb. I mean, if you don't go to security at an airport, if you've got some kind of special clearance and someone to escort you to the gate and put you on the plane without a passport, you could have surely he could stick yeah. a, put, give a, put a hand grenade in his pocket or a stick of dynamite in it. You know, I mean, something that wouldn't require this young man, Mutalab, to do what he apparently had to do. To set his underwear on fire. On the plane, which was to secrete... Uh, a bunch of powder wrapped up in cellophane in his underwear, strapped to his crotch, basically, and then try to, in, later on in the flight, before it landed, to try and inject some kind of acid into this into this powder that was attached to his crotch and then try to l- 
<laughs> and then trying to set it on fire with a, with a match. It's just so farcical and so beyond what, 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 so beyond anything that actually fits with the U.S. government's uh, claims about this real and dangerous yeah, terrorist it's, threat. It's it sounds like a bunch of clowns. It sounds it like a bunch a of clowns. It's a Keystone Cops terrorist unit. Yeah. But yet and all, based on this Keystone Cops terror threat, the U.S. government has invaded two countries and committed hundreds of thousands of troops, and the CIA has been running private military Absolutely. contractors and mercenaries to do their dirty work in, in, in Iraq, Afghanistan, into Pakistan more recently, and, and, and very recently into Yemen, um, all on the basis of this ridiculous threat. It's a grotesque theater, and the acting is really bad. Yeah, that's, really that's a very good way of summing it up, actually. And if they had had an intention to bring this plane down, it would have been the easiest thing in the world. The guy didn't even go through security. So it's not even a point of, oh, let, let's inflict damage. Let's inflict real damage and really no. kill people. It's let's inflict some more fear, fear and, and mind Control. programming on, on the American <clears throat> and world population. And that is what is behind the war on terror, very clearly, if you look at... The series, the long series of terror alerts and terror attempts and terror attacks over the past um, eight, nine years since 9-11, uh, you see that all of them, or the vast majority of them, had the effect of terrorizing essentially the U.S. and the, and the European population into believing in this Muslim terror threat and therefore a clash of civilizations, which then leads to a silencing of any kind of, any potential public protest or questioning of this horrible and destructive war on terror that has killed millions of people at this stage, uh, bankrupted or almost bankrupted the U.S. economy. Well, I'm sure it's bankrupted. It's all yeah, it well. All on stilts at this point. Uh -huh. And even if, if Americans are now calling it the crotch bombing and they're snickers and, and, oh, I can't believe this and this is this is ridiculous and silly, guess what? They're still having to sit down for the last hour of their international flights and they're still having to get pat-downs to get on the planes. Yeah. And they still cannot carry on more than one carry-on. And even that has to be, what, a laptop or a handbag? So, you know, snicker all you like and, and it's good that you're noticing that it doesn't make sense, but still the controls are being put in place and you're being locked down more and more and more. And there's not a thing you can do about it. No. There isn't anything people can do to, to stop those controls, those uh, ridiculous, invasive, intrusive airport controls, uh, and just the horrible nature of um, of what is today is today international air travel, um, or even national air travel. It's not a nice experience, and it, and it seems to be getting a lot worse. I suppose what people can do is just stop flying, but would that play into the to the hands is that uh, oh, absolutely if, pe if you limit people's mobility you limit people's information and that they would love that that would be perfect and flying of any type now whether it's you know domestic or international is just so painful mm -hmm. inconvenient um you had uh, you had a, an experience recently actually when you came recently through my uh, international travel was not pleasant came through a european European airport. Yeah, during during there was a snowstorm. That was the uh, the reason. But unfortunately, when you get trapped in a German airport, 
in a snowstorm, you're on your own. Yeah. There's no help. There's a lot of security. Full body, not a pat down. No. (laughs) Full body rub down. Yeah. Four times. So there's a lot of security, but there's no help. The kind of thing some deviant people pay for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just get going back there. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, air travel is just, it, it's its torture at this point. Well, not literally, but it's its approaching that. It's uncomfortable. It's demeaning. It's um, its a lesson in, in being controlled. And if you don't smile, if you aren't pleasant, if you aren't polite while you're being controlled, then you get pulled aside. Yeah. And it, God forbid, if you're a person of color, then you're getting pulled aside. Mm-hmm. If you're male and traveling by yourself and a person of color, you're getting pulled aside for longer. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It's Kafka-esque. There's no way around it. There's no way to address any, anyone about it. There's no way to get any assistance. You you are not a human being. You are... Cattle. Cattle. Yeah. If not, a you know, an, an assumed prisoner. It's, it's just completely out of control. And it is very strange the way... Ordinary people, and I'm assuming they're ordinary people in airports who are actually the, the foot soldiers in this in this mm-hmm. campaign. It seems to to make international air travel a, a hell. Basically, these are ordinary people, and they a lot of people in my own experience in, in traveling on airplanes over the past few years is that a lot of these people are just they are just simple ordinary people, and they're just obeying the rules and regulations that have been handed down to them and Absolutely. they don't even seem to see that there's anything wrong with it and it all ties back to this terrorist threat because that is what underpins it all. Absolutely. That's the reason in the back of all these uh, airport workers, security workers' minds as to why they're doing this because obviously they need to have some reason why they're doing it or they might start to question it or speak out a little bit about it but mm-hmm. the, 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 the ubiquit- ubiquitous terror threat keeps those questions from from being expressed. And once they buy into that, then everything else is okay. Everything serves that basis. So once they buy in to that, the truth of that, and even the passengers, once they buy into the truth of that, then they sit still and quiet. And They're thankful for it, even some of them, yeah? Some, some of them. Although I, I, I think yeah. that's a small minority from my recent experience. It was a lot of anger and a lot of resentment and a mm. lot of hands in the air. And You know, people aren't... people. I don't think people are quite as stupid and oblivious as those who are putting a lot of this in motion think they are, that are. Yeah. But, um, you know, you push people too far and you give people nothing left to lose and they are going to notice at some point. Mm-hmm. I, I think most of them. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, we definitely will see. Um, and the way it's been going in the past few years, it, it can only, it seems to me, it can only get worse. It's on a downward track and it's it's... It's going to keep going, but yes, we mentioned the 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 idea that this latest terror attack, the underwear bomber, that it was for the purpose of keeping the population, largely the world population, in fact, but particularly the U.S. and European populations, um, on message mm-hmm. and on track with this idea of the war on terror that, and that there is a an Arab or Islamic terrorist threat to the. The free peoples of the world, blah, 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 blah. So we can't pull our troops out. Yes. Yeah, so we can't close Guantanamo because no. look at what happened. Well, exactly, <laughs> yeah. That's the point that probably most important and one of the central reasons for this recent event. Um, you had Obama in 2007 making his promise that if by the time he was elected president, uh, the troops had not been removed or 
brought home from Iraq and Afghanistan that he would make sure it, it happened. And he said, take that to the bank. Mm-hmm. You, or you can take that to the bank. He's duly elected president, and he reneges on his promises. He also promised that he would close down Guantanamo. He, he said all the right things for... Oh, he signed the papers. Yeah. One year. Why, why it would take a year, I'm not sure. But, yeah, one year, we'll close down Guantanamo. He obviously made all these promises because he realized that this was what was in the minds of a majority of American, American voters, that they wanted the war to end. They didn't agree with the war. They realized it was a, a, perhaps an unjust or a, just a useless war. Guantanamo was uh, even if, a... Yeah, even at the most base level, even if they didn't understand it's unjust, or even if they didn't even think far enough to say, what are we doing there? Why are we killing all these people for no reason? Even at the most base level, their kids, brothers and cousins, are going off and coming back broken. Yeah. Psychologically, emotionally, mentally, if they're yeah. normal. They're, they're, they're broke. You know, these people have lost jobs who, who are still in the U.S. The economy's going to... Going to hell, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, pe- and people the, realize that... that their lives are not good. And, and not a war is the last right. thing you need. Trillions of dollars on a war is the wrong thing to do. So this was the prevailing sentiment at the time uh, leading up to the, the 2008 election. Obama and his, his people realized this, so they pandered to those needs, mm-hmm. desires of the American people. They promised these things, close Guantanamo, end the war, because obviously Guantanamo, America had, uh, had received such bad international press. Yeah, you know, it makes us look bad when we torture people in the open like that. Yeah. We can torture them in our CIA secret prisons because no one really notices. Yeah. But, but you know, we can't be caught with our knickers down torturing people in yeah. Guantanamo in front of God and everybody. And so he promised to close down Guantanamo and then he doesn't. And so there, in the past year, in his first year as president, his initial soaring popularity has taken a bit of a, a nosedive. Mm-hmm based on his broken promises. So right at Christmas in his first year, we have a terror attack that reaffirms the need to keep the troops in Iraq and Afghanistan and indeed expand the war on terror to a new country, Yemen. That deals with that. A grievance among the American population, if any of them were thinking, well, well, he broke his promise, well, what about the terror attack? What about the what about the terror threat? We have to keep the troops there because here's evidence, and it's right in, in Detroit. Uh, and answering the Guantanamo question, why he didn't close it down when he said it, he would, well, it was just it was coincidentally revealed that by parties unknown within the intel agencies that the two people who trained this uh, underwear bomber and gave him his materials and schooled him in the in the ancient art of hiding underwear. a bomb in your knickers uh, were two men who had been in Guantanamo and had been released to Saudi Arabians who had been released from Guantanamo a couple of years ago and right there you've got evidence as to why we need Guantanamo those guys, not only should you not close down Guantanamo but you've got to keep these guys in Guantanamo because look what happens, you let them out they go, they find some impressionable, impressionable young, uh, young guy in, uh, in, in some, yeah. some far-off country, and he comes to America and he tries to blow up a plane. I mean, <laughs> it makes sense, right? It's a, it's a wonderful narrative. It, it, it convinces me. It's, it's the worst soap opera I've ever watched. Um, it, it's astounding. The, the overriding sentiment in the part of the country I'm from, the U.S., with Obama, um, it's a fairly liberal area that I'm currently living in, and... The overriding sentiment there is he means well. 
Give him time. Hmm. There is so much reluctance to look at what's really going on because that's too too negative. They, mm-hmm. they can't. They can't. They cannot look that direction. That it's just, oh, well, he's trying. Well, you can't just go in and change everything right away. Hmm. Well, he keeps trying. You know, they're it's, looking it's into an abyss, though. Uh, if they if they if they do look at that, then they're. What else is, is there exactly, for them to look not. to? There's nothing left. Yeah. Obama is this great, yeah. this great hope. He, uh, after Bush, he, he was meant to change it all around. And if he turns out to be just the same or even worse, if that were possible, um, then I can't imagine the kind of despair that people would feel, especially in the point. U.S. They have nowhere else to, to turn. So he pretty much can do what he wants to do because there will always be that segment of the population, a fairly large segment, that will give him the benefit of the doubt until it's impossible to do so any hmm. longer, but then it's too late. Hmm. Well, it's certainly I mean, you know, you have, not looking good. Yeah, you have the others as well who just despise him, but you know, those are usually the really far-right-wing fundamentalists who despise him for, you know, no matter what he did or what he said. Yeah, despise him anyway. like the Alex Jones crowd. Right. Yeah, that's that's an interesting question actually because I know Alex Jones and his his adepts or his acolytes or his supporters, whatever you want to call them, all the people on his groupies, groupies, yeah, all the people on his on his uh, on his forum and his website that that just love to tune in. I know that they all ostensibly are against Obama because mainly because of his health form, health reform. Sorry, uh, Bill and his uh, his attempt to pass what they call a socialist, uh, so- pass socialism within the U.S. make make America a socialist country. God forbid. But They're so well, you know, th- those are the type of people who are so easily led that it, it's it's comical if it weren't so tragic. Yeah, it's you know, a bit tragic. They're, they're given false definitions and and fed the false definitions, and then everything's based on that. And you know, but when you yeah, well, when you mention that there are people in the U.S. The far right, who, who, um, who, right from the beginning were not going to be happy with Obama, and I'm assuming you're, you're suggesting here that it's based on on his color. It's a, it's, oh, it's a racism, uh, but and and the idea that he's a liberal, which he could not be farther from liberal if he if he yeah. died. But yeah, the color and the and the. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm I'm not I'm not trying to lump Alex Jones in with them, but I'm just wondering about the the extent of of the anti-Obama coverage that Alex Jones has been giving since the very beginning, I'm wondering if that healthcare reform can be all that is behind the, that, that, that vitriol, because... Oh, I doubt it. I mean, there are enough objective reasons to be critical of, of Barack Obama as president based on his policies and his actions since he's been elected. There's more than enough material there to be critical of him yeah. as in that office, but what is fascinating is the is the emotional material that's used to send people into frenzies, just these frenzies of hatred, mm-hmm. with the emotional material that they get from people like Jones, which is barely, if if often at all, based on fact. You know, it's all emotion. It's all this this word socialism with you know not to be demeaning, but most of those people don't even understand the definition and how that would apply in this case because you know it's just words and emotions, and it's the oldest trick in the book. You know. Yeah. Rile people up with hatred and emotion and hot buttons that really aren't linked to reality at all, and set them loose. Yeah, yeah. The, I was actually re- uh, reading a, a story just uh, the other day about um, 
segregation in uh, in U.S. schools between blacks and whites. And today, as of 2009, as of last year, um, it's actually worse than it was 40 years ago. Segregation in the U.S. is worse than it was during the, the whole civil rights... Is it uh, because it's basically economic segregation is what has happened? It's probably largely, but I think yeah. there's, there's, a, there's a hidden segregation. I think oh, that, that the integration that supposedly happened in the, in the latter half of, 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 the, of the 20th century in the U.S. was not all it was cracked up to be or not. It wasn't exactly the way it was spun in the media. It wasn't all hunky-dory, you know, and that a lot of the racism, underlying racism, didn't go away. And, oh, because uh, you, you can't legislate away racism. It's impossible. I mean, I went, I, I grew up in the southeast and went to a grammar school that had just recently been integrated. And, you know, there were there was the white water fountain and the colored water fountain with signs over each one. I mean, this is, it, it's, it was, it's a bizarre mindset. And you can't legislate away that kind of, emo, of emo, emotional thinking and, and hatred. I mean, Across the board, I think it was successful in a lot of ways, but you're talking about human beings. and Not to bash America. I mean, it, there are a lot of brilliant, amazing people in this country, but it's a very insular country. And when a country is that isolated, it makes it much, much harder for people to open their minds. It, it's an incredibly isolated, you know, mentally and, and culturally most kids growing up in America think that America is the only country on the planet for the most mm-hmm. part, you know, until they get a little older and it's just... And that's by design, yeah. it must be. Um, exactly, because then how do you feel guilty about taking from everyone else on the planet so you can have your SUV, you know? Yeah, it's definitely true. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's a bit of a, It's fairly well known. It's, a, it's almost a cliche about Americans not really knowing a lot about the rest of the world. And it has to be by design, as, as we just said, because... Um, we're talking about education and education policy uh, on the part of successive American governments in terms of educating the population about, about the rest of the world. And uh, there's a definitely, I mean, you would know obviously better from coming from the U.S. than, than, I, than I do um, about the way that is presented to kids in school, uh, about how their awareness of the rest of the world and even what happens well, in terms of history. Yeah, it's indoctrination. I mean, the fact of the matter is the, the vast majority, from my perspective, of, of Americans, if they honestly knew, if they had any idea whatsoever the extent of what their government does around the world and, and what actions we take to control and destroy other parts of the world, they would not, they would not accept it, mm-hmm. and they would put a stop to it, and that's the point. They can't know that. They can't know that, or it would stop. Because, you know, the Americans are not evil people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they, these are people with good hearts, and and they just don't know. They're kept ignorant. They're kept ignorant, and if they had any idea, yeah. And it's just it's not just about not educating people because I mean most governments tend not to want to educate their populations about the less attractive yeah, uh, aspects of history of, of that country. But uh-huh. yeah, exactly. Uh, you don't want people to be too smart either. But in the U.S., it seems that. Part of that is also to to somehow prevent people from traveling to other countries or, or wanting to travel to other countries or knowing that there are other countries to travel to or knowing the truth about them. Because I suppose if people were to even travel widely to other parts of the world, they would for them, see for themselves 
certain things that would get exposed to other viewpoints, etc. So not only do they not want to teach the population even a tiny amount about the true history uh, of the U.S. and um, its true, you know, military right. and imperial history, but uh, they don't want people going off to find out for themselves either. Oh, exactly, and that goes back to limiting, making travel really, really inconvenient and unpleasant. Yeah, that's definitely, I think, one of the one of the reasons for this most recent terror attack. As, 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 as we've noted, it's making, or seems to be, the, that the plan is to make air travel much more painful and just to stop people wanting to do it. But as has always been the case in in terms of these phony terror attacks, there are several agendas achieved at at the same time. I mean, they don't want to waste it. It's an opportunity, so they... So it can push push forward, you know, further warmongering. And here I was thinking that having to carry on my lotion in a little quart-sized plastic bag was as bad as it could get. Yeah, apparently not. No. So I just wanted to get back to the to the story of the of the underwear bomber. Um, initially, reports in the news about about the event about what happened really left us with with not a lot of, not a lot to go on. We just had some young Nigerian guy who seemed to be in a trance, which was what uh, an eyewitness the the guy actually who yeah, that was actually what on he the said, airplane the who. He used. Yeah, who, who tackled him on the airplane, said that he seemed to be in a trance. He was totally docile, and so we had this young guy attempting to set off this bomb that really was never going to work. Could, yeah. And it could have been just some, some crazy person, I mean. But very quickly afterwards, a stream of information, really unreasonably quickly, a stream of information came out from intelligence uh, sources within the U.S., one all of them sorts, being... Yeah, all sorts of handy facts just yeah, popping up. Yeah. yeah, one of them being Intel Center, which is this semi, semi-private intelligence gathering operation which is staffed by ex-military, ex-CIA members. It's, it's really kind of outsourcing uh, intelligence. or It's an organization to keep the intelligence gathering and the providing... Of, providing of intelligence data on terrorism one step away from the U.S. government uh, or from the CIA, although that's really where it's just Intel Center is just the CIA by by another name. So Intel Center produces very quickly a picture. Literally. Yeah, (laughs) produces perhaps literally uh, a picture of the the bomber, Mutalib, with a flag in the background, which is... Uh, according, which is according to the name, uh, the flag of Al Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula. So this was immediately then evidence that linked Mutalib and the whole attempted bombing. Don't you have pictures of yourself in front of the flags of the different organizations you're, you're a member of? Of I, course, I think that's pretty usual. Yeah. Don't so this was suspicious to say the least, <clears throat> at least from our point of view given our, our research into these kind of operations. So we did a bit of research, and we found that video from 2006 that was also released by Intel Center of the alleged al-Qaeda number two, Ayman al-Zawahiri, that, that, that a video uh, that was allegedly released by, by al-Qaeda showing this al-Qaeda number two, giving this typical speech of, you know, I'm going so, to kill all the infidels. So Intel Center... Re- released this video released as well this video, in 2006. But the video itself was supposedly made by Al-Qaeda, correct? 
Yes, well, he is. Uh, yeah, because the, he is the yeah the star of the video character. was Al Qaeda. So I was, and they always find these on jihadist websites. Of course, they don't say which which, which websites <laughs> and internet postings uh, on jihadist websites saying we did such and such terror attack. We're going to kill all your infidels, slaughter you, you know, you know, chop you up and feed you to etc. Um, so this video of two, from two thousand and six of the Al Qaeda number two, which was found by Intel Center and mm posted on their website and given to the, the media outlets to disseminate around the world. Uh, a guy, computer, kind of whiz kid kind of guy who had developed a program that could analyze videos and images and look at the, what they call, I think they call it the metadata behind right. the, the video and the, the, the layers. Uh, if, it, if, for example, it had been tweaked or... or, or manipulated via Photoshop or another photo editing program. So he could data. see all of that data. Gotcha. And so he analyzed a still from the video of this Al-Qaeda number two, and he found that the... Oh, I should mention also that the, the, the video came with, when it was released, came with the logo of Intel Center up in the right-hand corner, just the words Intel Center, marking it as, uh, as coming were, from them, that right. they had... They found you know, it, they were branding it, it. yeah. Right. Like CNN or Fox News. So it showed the Al-Qaeda number two guy sitting in front of a, a backdrop of a cloth with writing on it, which was supposedly... Like a banner? Yeah, a banner that was declaring it as authentically Al-Qaeda. But this guy, a computer guy, who was able to prove with the software that he developed that the, the background writing on the, on the cloth behind Al-Qaeda number two was added to the video, that it wasn't there in the original filming of the video, that it was added afterwards, but that the most, the most interesting part, obviously, is that it was added at the same time as the Intel Center logo. <laughs> so you basically had a video of this guy who, who from, for some reason, he, when I look at him, he always reminds me of Mr. Magoo, you know, the little the cartoon of Mr. Magoo. It's the glasses and the kind of bumblingness of him. He's like Mr. Magoo with a beard and a, and a, and a turban. This video was, of, seriously, of dubious origin, it's hard to tell when you look at the video or look at the, the, even the image from the video. It really does look like it's been thrown together mm. and photoshopped many but he, times. But he actually found the data that, that proves that the banner behind the head, the banner that identifies the man as Al-Qaeda, yes. was placed into this video at the same time as, as Intel Center. Center, yes. So somebody who put the so Intel Center logo on there, video. yeah, <laughs> whoever put the Intel Center on, which is supposedly Intel Center people right. who are ex and probably current US military and CIA had also put together the video essentially they had manufactured at least to some degree the video but they say that this video was found by them on, so a, on a jihadist website and was produced by Al-Qaeda so, so if you follow the logic they're saying that they're Al-Qaeda oh yeah absolutely because it was produced by Al-Qaeda. So if we take them at their word, they're saying we are Al-Qaeda. Yeah. So that was just, that was another red flag. So in a sane world, that information that you just relayed here would be on CBS Evening News, NBC yes. Evening News, maybe not on Fox. But, but no, uh, it's not, obviously. And the many other details, the confusing, strange, unbelievable details of the, of the official story of uh, the underwear bomber do not appear on any of the main evening news programs what does appear and what is being parroted endlessly on these programs is that this was Al-Qaeda this guy was 
an al-Qaeda operative. He was given the bomb and trained to do to carry out his attack by two Saudi Arabian former Guantanamo inmates, but that he had spent six months from August or July or August uh, last year until December, just before his misguided attack uh, in Yemen. So the story was much simplified from these strange details that we are talking about here to a very simple, this guy wanted to kill Americans because they were in Afghanistan and because they're Americans and that he has direct links to Yemen. And the interesting thing, obviously, is that Yemen was the subject of several bombing raids by the Yemeni government uh, just in the last couple of weeks, which killed many innocent civilians. And there is quite a lot of evidence that the U.S. was either supplying, there were either U.S. warplanes that were being flown by Yemeni pilots, or it was actually the uh, U.S. pilots and warplanes themselves that that carried out the attacks. We had already entered the (coughs) Yemeni theater. Yes. And so after we were in there killing, either directly or or via supplying, you know, the the means, then we say, oh, we we need to knock on the door. We're sorry. We'll we'll make our our ties here with the underwear bomber, and then it's okay we're here. Yeah, after the fact. So it's just the expansion of the war on terror to another country, another Arab country. One of the main reasons for the entire war on terror, and this is only one of the reasons because it's, you know, it's very likely that there are, there are several different agendas being served by the, by the phony war on terror. But Yemen is a very strategic in terms of its location. It's location. It sits right on the south of the Arabian Peninsula, right below Saudi Arabia, and you have access to the Red Sea and the Gulf of Aden and the Indian Ocean and all of the those major kind of strategic oil-producing nations on uh, in North uh, East Africa, Somalia, Sudan, which in, in which the U.S. Have been, have been heavily involved over the past 10, 20 years as well. And also Yemen itself is a, an oil-producing nation and a gas-producing nation, and recently several contracts for the exploration and production of oil, of Yemeni oil, were signed by, guess what, ExxonMobil, BP... Um, Total. Total, yes. So you have these big uh, international oil companies with serious vested interests, financial interests in Yemen, which obviously links back to the U.S. government and... British government and the French government and you put all that together and you start to get an idea of what this is all about but really we were already there and it was already happening so it's, it's like this ball, this Christmas ball of, of joy that okay now we have a concrete reason, we've been there but now we have our concrete ties so no one can question plus we get to put more controls on the populace Exactly, on more controls on more controls not only on the the U.S. and European populations, but also on the Middle Eastern populations. Because obviously, Middle Eastern people, despite how how, how they have been and are portrayed in the mainstream media as something close to backward Harling salvages right. type people, they are well aware of the injustices of yeah. occupation by a foreign power and the exploitation of the natural resources that are all shipped overseas and mm-hmm. to the west while they 
live in relative poverty. So, like any normal people, they're not happy about that, that set of circumstances. And uh, in Yemen, there has been, uh, over, over the past quite a few years, there's been um, several grassroots groups that have been clamoring for basic things, basic uh, needs, uh, civil rights, education, better roads, better schools, in some cases a school instead of no schools. And the Yemeni government is, is very closely affiliated, closely tied to the U.S. They basically seem to have thrown their lot in with the U.S. and the Western was, powers. Was that another CIA overthrow of a government? Was that another situation where we came in? And no, but in the 1870s it became a... Uh, part of Yemen became a part of the British Empire. Ah, so uh, for a while after that, it was uh, northern Yemen was part of the Yemen, uh, the Ottoman Empire. Then it, most of the country was more or less under British rule right up until 1962, 63. And the British left. When the British leave countries, when the British left many of their former empires, they left physically. They pulled out right. their troops, and but they that they left in place. Which and in the case of Yemen, does, right? yeah. And in the case of Yemen, you had uh, petty sultans and emirs who who were who had historically been kind of corrupt, and the ruling overlords who didn't really leave. They, they maintained a lot of control in terms of control of the government for over the 70s and 80s. Um, certain individuals that were deemed to be favourable to the geostrategic interests of the U.S. and Britain, for example, would have been supported and were supported financially, covertly, militarily, by the West, so that they, they, they rose to power. So uh, you don't need to occupy governments, in, uh, the US government, the British government, haven't needed to occupy countries like they did in the past, physically. They can occupy it covertly, right. essentially, and that's the case in Yemen. And so the Yemen people have, for a long time, the, the, the tribesmen and the various uh, populations, the different... Um, tribal populations within Yemen have really never known real justice or democracy or right. equal rights. And they've been, there's been a lot of conflict in Yemen over the years, but, and, and that has always been the source of it. And it's never been, when it could have been, it's never been addressed uh, either by the Yemeni government, government at the time and, or, or by way of pressure or uh, influence being exerted by, the, uh, by, by Western or other countries or even Arab states to, to pressure the government to do uh, what they should do, what any government should do, which is treat their people fairly. Because there were always other interests that took precedence, and those interests always have been about enriching the, the kind of 1% at the top at the expense of the rest of the population. So this handy little play has addressed that as well. Exactly. Yes, it's, it's because recently definitely there have been a lot of, has, has been a lot of unrest in, in the north of Yemen, and attempts even by um, groups in the north to secede from the from the south, because many years ago, Yemen was split into north and south, two semi-autonomous kind of uh, states. And recently there's been a secessionist drive to, to, by the north to, to break away and re-establish themselves as an independent. And obviously the Yemen government doesn't want that to happen, and US and British, etc., interests in that region do not want that to happen because, you know, you, right. you start... If you don't control it, you don't control the people, you don't control any, any government that would spring up out of those people, and therefore you don't control the natural resources. So it's not somewhere they want to go. So they an- yeah. So when it's, not when it's not something you want to happen in a country, if it's not 
if it doesn't play into your strategic interests, well, then your first and best card these days is, to, is the terrorism card. Because it opens the door very widely. To bombing and killing off the people who are threatening to get in the way. So speaking of financial support, um, who is this this kid's father, the the underwear bomber? What was... Yeah. I saw something mentioned and I didn't have time to... Yeah, up until now, any of the quote-unquote terrorists or the majority of, of... of the terrorists that have been involved in attacks have all been fairly, you know, normal individuals or, or from people from poor backgrounds that supposedly were easily influenced or easily joined these radical groups, etc. But this young guy, Mutalib, was not of that uh, social status at all. He was, uh, he was in fact the son, he is, I should say, the son of a Nigerian former Nigerian government minister and high-level banker who was a member of international banking institutions Hmm. in Europe and the US. He... So was he aware of what his son was into or who his son was being programmed by? Well, that's kind of open to speculation because once you take a person like that of that level, it's hard to know what kind of contact the father had or what, what and who he was involved in. There are reports that he, uh, during at the beginning of December, walked into the U.S. embassy in in Nigeria and uh, supposedly sto- spoke to one of the embassy staff, i.e., CIA right. members, and told them that his son had become radicalized and that he was afraid that he might be going to do something crazy like try to blow up a plane with his underpants. Well, he didn't like, say that. But that sounds like a bit of a CYA operation, wouldn't you think? Yeah. So he's making a public statement to to, to make sure distance that, himself. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like he, he knew very well what right. was happening. It may have been beyond his control, but when you get into that level right. uh, or down to that level of the the operation, it's hard to know exactly what was going on. You can only speculate, but that bit of evidence suggests that this guy was not your average father who just had lost track of his son. He he would have known a lot more than the average person about what was going on Um he was also, as I mentioned, he, he was an important banker in, in, in Nigeria and a government minister, and he was also head of the Nigerian arms industry. So oh, really? he, wasn't, he wasn't your average citizen, let's just say, but he, um, the, the only other interesting, well, there's a couple of other interesting things about, about Nigeria and about this, you know, in this particular story. There's, um, back in 2008, there was a, a story in the... Um, in a Nigerian newspaper called the Daily Trust, where government ministers were debating the pros and cons of having the Israeli Mossad come and train Nigerian security forces in, in, um, and there, there was there was a, a voice against and voices for, and we, uh, I, I assume, you know, I'm shocked that, I, that this story would would actually lead to the Mossad. That's you, just it's just so unusual. out of left field. Yes, this there were voices for and against this proposed acceptance of a Mossad generous offer to come and train their security forces and, you know, just get to know what was going on in Nigeria and how they operated their security and, you know, maybe who the members of the elite were and maybe if they could had a son that was impressionable or something who could be mind-programmed to blow up his underpants. That's all speculation. But it it may be what they were 
what they were planning or what they wanted to get involved in, or maybe they just wanted to help out the Nigerian security forces. But because in, they're very friendly that way. They are. They're very good that way. But in the report, the chairman of the Senate Committee on National Security and Intelligence, this is in Nigeria, said that he supported the alleged security pact with Israel. And he said, they, the Mossad, are professionals, and they're here to help train our own intelligence agents. He said, I don't see any way by which their presence in the country pose any threat to our national security. I vote that as, it's from 2008, as, as the, uh, do Time magazine have like the most deluded statement <laughs> of the year? Because uh, if they do, that's, that, that's a candidate. Um, he, may have had, he may have had financial um, motivation for making such a statement. Yeah, he may because well have no done. one in their right mind would, would make that statement. Well, you would think so, but maybe, maybe some people don't really know an awful lot about how these things operate because, That's you true. know, there isn't a lot of people doing the kind of research that we're doing. And, I mean, I think there are a lot of useful idiots out there, you know. But if, in an imaginary world, I had, a, I had been sitting in the um, in Nigerian... Would laughter have been heard? In the Nigerian <laughs> parliament at that time and heard uh, that statement, I would simply have responded to, to the man in question saying that, Having Mossad come in and um, you know infiltrate your security <laughs> apparatus and get to get to know all about it was not a national security risk for your country. I would simply have quoted a story from the same year, actually, in the uh, from BBC News uh, from 2008, which the headline of which read, "Yemen seizes Israeli linked cell," and it was a story that the security forces in Yemen had arrested a group of alleged Islamist militants who were, surprisingly, linked to Israeli intelligence, i.e. Mossad. And the arrests were connected, the arrests of the Israeli-linked cell were connected with an attack on the U.S. embassy in Sana'a, which is in Yemen, the previous month, which killed at least 18 people. So Israel was pushing for this Yemen connection as they do, as is their way, with, you know, false flag. Look at us, we're Islamic militants. Yeah. Wearing yarmulkes. Don't look at the yarmulke. Right? <laughs> we're Islamic. But um, it's, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I mean, that article is a good good example of, uh, of why it's probably a good idea for any government ministers to not allow the Mossad to cooperate with your security forces. Because if you do... Don't complain if a couple of years down the line you find that your country is being subjected to Islamic terrorists, that's in quotes, by the way, uh, who are blowing up parts, uh, you know, various buildings within your country, you know. And and don't be surprised then afterwards if you find that they are linked to said Mossad organization that you invited into your country a couple of years previously. It is it is incredibly difficult to wrap my mind around the fact that people at that level of government in any country at this point in time would not be aware of how that works with Mossad. It's astounding to me at this point in time. Yeah. How many years of being caught and being implicated does it take? Or maybe money blurs all those lines. Maybe, and maybe wishful thinking. Yep. Blurs it all. Maybe people. Maybe there's a middle ground where people of that level within governments are well aware that it happens in other countries. That the Mossad has done this in other countries, but they won't do it. Here. Why would they do it here? There's right. no reason for them to do it here. But 
to, to think that way is to, to try to know the mind of the Mossad, and you don't want to do that, you know? Okay, so I think we'll wrap it up there. We think we've covered the, the topic uh, more or less sufficiently, <laughs> enough to, to give people a, a different slant on, on what the recent underwear bombing attack in Detroit was really all about. I'd just like to thank Anne for being with us here today and thank for you. her insights. <laughs> and I'd also like to thank our listeners for tuning in. And we hope to be back with another Science of the Time, Sot.net podcast, very soon. No more lies. Must we-